Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And I'd like to take a moment to talk to our one and only fan. I cannot believe that you discouraged me from reading The Princess Bride. My feelings are hurt. I feel betrayed. (laughs) I don't know if we'll be able to get through this, but I love you. And so I'm willing to try. (laughs) Now we can talk about love hacks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, today we're discussing Love Hacked by Penny Reed. Sandra is looking for a stable, long-term relationship. She takes all her first dates to the same restaurant, and every date ends the same way. The guy starts crying. One night, after Sandra's newest date leaves in tears, Alex, the waiter, and Sandra share a passionate kiss. Alex is hot and obviously Mr. Wrong, but Sandra decides to enjoy a fling for once and discovers that Alex is smart, secretive, and complicated. As Sandra begins to develop feelings for Alex, she realizes that maybe Mr. Wrong is perfect for her after all. And there will be spoilers beyond this point. So, Erica, where does the story start? We start out with Sandra on one of her, I guess, infamous first dates. (laughs) (laughs) She picked up this guy at a Cubs game. You get the impression that she's like totally out of his league, but... She doesn't seem to, like, recognize that. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, she's really turned off by his lack of hair because she refers to him as honeydew. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Like, come on. But okay. The visual is very good, I think. I think the author does a really good job with the visual of this this whole... Oh, yes, she does. The the lack of chemistry that Sandra has for... uh, Poor Mr. Honeydew. Um, But yeah, they're on this first date and she's just kind of like ready. Every first date, you get the impression she's like all in. She wants to meet the one. And as she talks to him, she realizes, oh. Is that the impression that you got? Or do you think she's just doing this to fill time and she's just repeating a behavior? I think she wants to meet. She wants her person. Okay. I think she's picking people who she feels would be, like, safe to have a stable relationship with. I think she's picking her father. (laughs) Sandra is a psychiatrist. And maybe uh, (laughs) now you're psychoanalyzing Sandra. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, no, I've... You know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I just got the impression that she's, I mean, maybe you're right, but I got the impression that she's like, she wants her person. She wants to meet her person. She's had several crappy relationships in the past. And so she's choosing a type. You know, she wants someone who's safe. Every time she meets this type, She asks them out, takes them out to the same restaurant, and discovers they have some sort of unresolved issues, gives them an impromptu informal therapy session, and they leave crying as Throughout the story, it's like, oh, she makes them cry. I'm like, no, it seems more like she's providing a safe environment for them, and they just break down. 
I don't think she's making them cry. It's not like she's calling them names or kicking their shins under the table. Yeah, I think you're right. I think she makes them feel comfortable to open up and then they feel like they've never been able to open up to someone before and then all their feelings come out. Yes, which she doesn't see as a turn on and they, I guess, I'm assuming, feel incredibly uncomfortable and thus ends the date. <laughs> yes. And so this, for this particular date, she went all out. She bought a brand new hot skimpy red dress, but he starts crying and leaves and she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go get my stuff packed up. Yes, the coveted butter chicken. She goes to the bathroom. When she gets back, she notices the waiter, Alex, is sitting at the table. Like, he's taken the place of the honeydew. Yes, the honey don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he's poured himself a glass of wine. Yeah, and she's a little intrigued about this because she's like, well, she's noticed him before because, of course, he's attractive. I think she's aware that he's younger than her, but she doesn't know by how much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's she's pretty sure he's scandalously younger than her. She's 28. Right. And she pegs him at, at early 20s. Yet she comments on, like, in her head, she's thinking about, like, his bedroom voice and how hot he is and all these things, but... I think she's just kind of relegated him to like the, oh, no, no, you are young and dangerous and so therefore not worthy of being my Mr. Forever or whatever. Yes, because she has this preconceived notion that her Mr. Forever will be this stable, once a family dude. And she she thinks she knows what that guy is supposed to look and act like. He's like <laughs> talking to her <laughs> and... <laughs> just really kind of funny <laughs> and <laughs> because because um she asked him why are you sitting here like what is your goal here he says why do you make men cry <laughs> and she says do i make men cry and he says yes every other friday night would you care to hear my theories <laughs> Because he has been studying her for, like, what, two years at this point? She has been doing this, what, every other Friday night is taking a dude there and making him, making him, quote unquote, cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they have this, this kind of, it's it's kind of a hostile conversation in a way. Because he, he pegs her as a shrink and she does admit to being a psychiatrist. He's like, I don't like psychiatrists. Or whatever. <laughs> yes, he does not approve of her profession. And she can't get a good read on him, which is different for her. She's very used to being able to, like, tell how other people are thinking or feeling. And she's more used to, you know, she hides her emotions and her feelings and lets whoever she's talking to be the emotional one. And Alex just does not play. No, he really doesn't. He does not play that game. Kind of frustratingly <laughs> so, where he's just like, no. He's like, no, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna shrink me. Sorry. Yes, I say no to this, and so it will be no. Um at some point in the conversation she admits she hasn't been kissed in like going on three years. And so he offers to be, you know, to put an end to her drought. She's a little tipsy, she thinks he's hot. She's like, 
yeah, sure. Let's go for it, you know? Caution, meet wind. And they have a very hot makeout session, I thought. And she's just like, she calls it a zing. But she gets all the zings in her things. Yeah. <laughs> she's a little sobered by the fact that he's much younger than her. But she's like, you know what? I deserve to have the zings in my things occasionally. She goes for it. She, I think at this point, if he had asked her back to his place or whatever, she would have gone for you it. You think? I think so. Okay. Because she felt rejected. That's true. Yeah, she brings up her Wookiee costume that she is forever stitched inside of. Yeah. But but they're making out and and he goes, it's late. And she says, it's not that late. Mm. And then he says, you should go. I'll get you a taxi. And she's like, oh. So I think I think if he'd been like, oh, yeah, I guess it's not that late. You want to go somewhere? I think she would have. Yeah, maybe she would have because she wanted to repair her wounded pride or ego or whatever and feel good. But he offers to get her a taxi and she's like, no, I just live down the way. And he's like, well, I'll walk you home. She's like, no, I just live down the street or whatever. And she leaves and she's just like, okay, well. That sucked, but I'm going <laughs> to move on. <laughs> I guess it's important to say that this story takes place in Chicago because the weather is kind of a important player in this. You know, it's always windy and cold and there's a lot of jackets and things in this story. I'm not entirely sure what time of year it's supposed to be other than cold. <laughs> Which, fair enough. I wouldn't say it's winter, because I imagine it snows in Chicago. And I don't think they talk about snow. Yeah, so maybe like early fall, or, or maybe late fall. I can't remember if they mentioned rain. Yeah, I don't remember rain. I just remember wind and cold, and Alex has one windbreaker and no gloves or hat. And Sandra belongs to a knitting group, and so she is concerned about the fact that he's gloveless and hatless yes she wants to make him all nice and warm <laughs> after this uh friday night unexpected kiss session with alex she has her regular saturday afternoon lunch with thomas who is a colleague of hers i guess he's also a psychiatrist and she refers a lot of her first dates to him <laughs> <laughs> thanks to her he has a thriving practice yeah <laughs> but you kind of get the impression that he's into her yeah she'll later be surprised at this fact and i'm like really dude because they do actually discuss it a little bit i think she just doesn't take it seriously yeah at one point they had had a date and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. But I think really the reason it didn't work out is because... She felt like he was a buddy more than a lover. Yeah, was because she didn't feel any chemistry. I don't think it was because of any thing he thought. I think she meant, makes a point of saying like talking to him was like was talking to a colleague. Which was great, but that wasn't what she was in the market for. And so they have a conversation about her date. She talks about Honeydew and then... He can kind of tell that something different happened. And he asked her if it was the honeydew. And she's like, no, <laughs> it was the waiter. <laughs> no, you'll be receiving his call. This is someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Which that actually just occurred to me. 
Does she then contact the dates that have left and be like, here's a therapist? Because how else are they going to find him unless he just volunteers? She gives them Thomas's card at the end of the day. Okay. <laughs> Forgot that part, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, or does Thomas like just randomly yeah. call them and be like, so I heard through the grapevine that you had a date with Sandra. Allow me to offer my services. I have a couch. <laughs> Just your size. No, she gives them referrals. <laughs> okay. That's still weird. And it's really funny, too, because she she's remained friends with a lot of these dates and has a lot of male friends. Well, she thinks of them as friends. I think some of them are hoping to become more at one point. Once they cry, they're out, I think. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're emotionally sensitive. Bye. I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just... I think at this point, the way she considers it, she doesn't want to be with a guy who needs to be fixed. Or wants to be fixed, I should. Well, maybe that's how it ends up. But at this point, I don't think she wants to be with a guy who who needs fixing. She wants to be with a guy who has no issues. Okay. That was my impression because the second she starts talking to a guy and finds out he has some sort of issues, then she puts on her psychiatrist hat and they spill their guts and at that point any chemistry she might have felt is just like gone yeah she she puts on her work hat yeah and then they may or may not still want to be with her some of them do which we find out but they don't give her the zings (laughs) yeah Sorry, it's, just, it's the whole zing thing. I like the zing. I think I'd like it better, honestly, if I had read the book versus doing the audio version. Oh, really? Yeah, in a lot of those, it, it's not just in this particular book, but in other books too, when there's those little exclamations, whatever they happen to be, is often when they're done in an audiobook, they're done with so much emotion. Oh. That it's sort of like... The, the tone of the narration is is in one place, but then all of a sudden there's this massive emotion, or emoting, I should say. And it's just a little like, whoa, we need to dial that back. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. I like. I think the author was pretty tongue-in-cheek with it. Um, there's a, even a quote I highlighted where she's talking to one of her friends in her knitting group about Alex the waiter. And her friend is like, kind of like, I don't know if he's right for you. And she says, he gives me zings in my things. And her friend says, what does that mean? And she says, I feel like I have wings. (laughs) And her friend says, maybe you're drinking too much Red Bull. And she says, no, it's lady quiverings. (laughs) And her friend says, listen, Dr. Seuss, I don't care if looking at him makes you want to sing. Look all you want. Just don't do anything else. Yeah, no, it's it's not like in that instance. It's <laughs> I think it's really fun. <laughs> it's when it's in other parts of the story. That's all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> you know the other thing too, and this may be a little too personal here, um, but a lot of it like reminded me of you because you do a lot of like um <laughs> Oh no. like you do sound effects and things i do and maybe that's what it is it's 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 a very dark mirror and i just don't want to look into that (laughs) or unflattering mirror a funhouse mirror i thought i i found it i found it endearing and maybe it's because of our friendship but i like the zing that's what i was just gonna say it's because we've been friends for a 
long time. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on, a couple days pass and she's running late for her knitting group meeting. And they're actually having a celebration for one of the people in her group who's a journalist who got some sort of something. She got an accolade for her article. Okay. I did actually listen to it twice, believe it or not, but it's late and I've had wine. I'm blaming it on the wine that I just now have started drinking. (laughs) They have a thing to celebrate for the journalist friend. Sandra's the one with the gift and she's running late and as she's heading to the restaurant because of course they're going to meet at the restaurant where Alex works conveniently. Well the butter chicken is supposed to be superb. She has sung its merits for far too long. Now they must go see for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She runs into Alex in the uh in the alleyway of the dumpster and she convinces him to bring in the gift to her friend with dessert and she's like oh thanks i'll owe you one and he goes when can i expect payment (laughs) (laughs) and she's all what do you want i'll leave you a big tip and he's like no i'll think of something (laughs) but they have a nice dinner they're waiting for um everyone's there except uh, Marie, who is the journalist friend and the woman of the hour. So they're just kind of hanging out, waiting for her. And all of a sudden they see her outside and she's having like a like a very physical sort of argument with a man who looks like he's going to hurt her. Alex runs out, pulls Marie away from the man and is like trying to calm him down. And then Fiona, who is the mother hen of the friend group comes out and like basically kicks this dude's ass, which Mm -hmm. shocks everyone because they're like, wow, Fiona, we thought you were a housewife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they know that she works in the, was it justice department or something like that? Yeah, but they're, they're, so I've read this whole series and in Fiona's book, spoiler, cover your ears if you don't want to know. But in Fiona's book, you learned she was a spy. Spoiler part is over for a future (laughs) book. But everyone is super grateful to Alex for helping save Marie. And every time he comes and serves them, they like toast him, which is just hilarious. And he's, he just like takes it. He's just like, yeah, yeah, I did. Thanks. Yeah, he's very gracious. (laughs) But uh, Sandra couldn't help but notice that like, he didn't want to call the police, even though they're like, we need to report on this guy. You know, he was going after Marie and it looked like he wanted to expose himself and nobody wanted to see that. And Alex was just sort of like, um, someone else can call. <laughs> and so it sort of makes her, her spidey senses, her psychiatrist senses tingle. Cause it's like, what, why are you avoiding this? And while the police are here, why are you, why are you dodging? Yeah, he says he doesn't have a phone, which is just Well, even that, it's like, well, the restaurant would have a phone. But even when the police are there to get statements and things like that, Alex is nowhere to be seen while they're there, Sandra noted. So later, later in the evening, he, he comes up to her and he's like, he brings it up. He's like, so you owe me one, right? And she says, well, after you help Marie, I might owe you more than one. And he's all, no, I don't think so. He basically, he, he 
very interested in her and he makes it very he's very frank about it at this point yeah i think they even agree at that point to meet later but then when she shows up later there's a woman there so he's like oh i guess he had a standing engagement with you know miss tuesday yeah he invites her over that night and she was going to go but then she was like no my friend cat is staying over but then cat ended up not staying over and so she thought, well, I'll go see if Alex still wants me to come over. And that's when she sees who she assumes is Miss Tuesday night. Sometime after that, they make arrangements to go on a date. And she goes in with the understanding, like, this clearly cannot be any more than just a brief fling. Like, she calls him a Wendell, basically a male slut, I think was my impression. Yeah. And agrees to meet him by the chase was at a chase bank that she's like, okay, well, I'll go there. She she does show up, not in the clothes that he wanted, because he's like, wear the, red, wear the red dress again. I can talk. Um, <laughs> I'd love to blame it on the wine, but <laughs> no. She's like, no, I'm not going to wear the red dress again, because <laughs> you had Miss Tuesday. And I'm okay with being Miss Wednesday, or whatever day of the week that they're meeting. <laughs> I'm not going to bend to your whim. Yeah, but she does wear a hoochie top. She's got the girls out. Yes, she she does wear flirty clothes, just different ones. Not the ones she was told or really commanded to wear. Yeah, but after she sees Miss Tuesday, she definitely, she, she has this whole impression that he is a player and he just wants to hook up with her. And she's basically told herself, okay, well, I am okay with that. I deserve this. And I think she's kind of given herself permission to pursue anything with him because she feels that way. Like, it's it's still in the realm of safe, I think. Yes. She still feels her. like she has control over herself and what's happening. Yeah. So when they go, when they meet up at Chase Bank, it turns out that they're there for a taping of the radio show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I'm so excited. Which she's very... <laughs> I know she's very impressed by this because he seems to be very knowledgeable about all of the content on the show and is even able to explain things to her that she didn't understand and all that. But then the other side of him is like he sees her her top when she takes off the jacket and he's obviously turned on and they're like kind of flirting while they're sitting down and he like grabs her hand and puts yeah. it on his boner. <laughs> like just just bam <laughs> there's this quote here where she's she's even thinking about this she said she thinks i decided that normal well-adjusted sandra who was looking for a life partner would likely have been very concerned if on the first date the man had forcefully brought her hand to his crotch possibly this was because of the kind of men well-adjusted sandra dated weren't the kind to display animalistic <laughs> tendencies they were very very safe However, Alex was not life partner material. He was not safe. And instead of feeling outraged, I was delightfully yet surprisingly aroused. So it's like, she's like, yeah, I wore the flirty shirt to get a reaction. I got a reaction. I'm rolling with it. But you kind of start getting more from Alex because he tells her that he's been watching her for the, over two years and she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. You know, he's just kind of laying it out there and she's seeing it all through the lens of yeah he's just feeding me lines yeah she doesn't really believe that he, she just thinks 
probably that he just wants to get laid like he doesn't really mean these things that he's saying so at the end of the show he says meet me at this place after you do the meet and greet i'm gonna go get us a a table because sometimes they're busy and she's like okay this is weird but sure she heads over to the coffee shop and when she gets there he like grabs her purse and like pulls her cell phone out and like takes the battery out of her cell phone and everything she's just like so (laughs) please yeah this is where the mystery man (laughs) thing that he was kind of doing before like evading her questions a bit and whatnot really comes to a head because she's like wait a minute (laughs) this is this is a bit much you've now gone into my purse and violated my things what's up dude yeah and he is we find out he's point blank honest with her because she's she's like, so what's going on here? Why'd you do all this? And he says, if I was being followed by the NSA or any other federal agency, I wanted to lose them before we met for coffee. And she's just like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, she doesn't really buy into it. <laughs> Which, I mean, to be fair, that's probably realistic. I mean, who who would suddenly just buy in and she's also i mean she's very put off by the age thing i think initially she's very aware of it you know she's like 28 is a lot older than you know 20 and she asks him how old he is and he doesn't want to tell her and he says (laughs) i'm legal that's concerning (laughs) (laughs) and so so she's like i'm 28 and he goes so and she says, so if you're 19, I'm nine years older than you. And he goes, I'm not 19. <laughs> uh, we find out later he's 21, which is still quite a bit younger. It is. It, it's not too different from other romance novels. It's just the gender slash sexes are different. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think in your 20s, that age difference makes it seems bigger. I think if it's like the difference, like, 31 and 38 it's a little less yeah of a big gap at that point you know you can be sort of at different it's not so much age or maturity thing so much i mean that's part of it but it's also a a life goals thing at that point what are you wanting out of life is it column a is it column b and typically if you're in this age group it tends to be column a and this is the part where we get to the three stories because alex has a scar on his face and she asks him where the scar came from and he doesn't want to tell her he says i'll tell you three stories and when i'm finished you can tell me which one you like best which one you like least and which one you think is true and the first story is where a wolf he like comes across a wolf and the wolf gives him the scar the second story is where he has an alcoholic father with a knife who gives him the scar and the third story is where he gets in a fight with a boy that he was living with who gave him the scar and then he ended up accidentally killing the boy Sandra's just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, her her reaction is like, well, she wants the wolf one to be true, but then she doesn't really want to touch the other two because she doesn't want either of them to be true. Yeah, and so she decides that the true one is the one with the with the alcoholic father because she feels like kids growing up in the foster system a lot of times don't don't live through it. And so she's, like, kind of playing the odds in a way. Well, and she's sort of, like, psychoanalyzing a little bit um, Alex's behavior. So she's like, well, these these behaviors that he's displaying up until this point 
would be similar to a kid who's been through the foster system because she's trying to understand him. She desperately wants in, you know, and to know things about him and everything. I thought it was interesting that the game that they play is similar, not identical, but similar to the one that they play on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but figuring out which story is true. I never get that right. I never do. (laughs) It's like a, you know, out of the blue. I'm like, oh, I was right. Good job, me. Yeah, I'm t- I'm terrible at that game. I never want to be, but I always am. <laughs> yeah, but she does she does think to herself that the odds of survival for a kid growing up in foster care were worse than cancer or worse than a cancer diagnosis. She says that the father story is true. The kids in foster care is her least favorite, and the wolf one is her favorite. Like, he doesn't really validate any of these responses, although he does say, yeah, I like the wolf one, too. Yeah, he basically goes into shutdown mode. <laughs> like, he completely rebuffs her her inquiries and, and all that stuff. And so you get a sense of what will be the conflict for the rest of the book, if assuming that it wasn't apparent, you know, up until this point, which is just she wants in and he's like, nope. Yeah. But I really like their, <laughs> I was going to say give and take, but it's not really give and take. It's more like... Give and not give. <laughs> I think she's used to giving. Yes. And he doesn't want her for that. No. She she desperately wants to give and give and give because that's her profession. That's who she is. And he doesn't even, in many inc- instances, want to take what she's offering. So he's like, no, no, that's, that's not why I want you in my life. That's not why I want you in my life. That is not why I want you in my life. She doesn't seem to to get it because yeah. also what's going on with her, which I thought was really interesting, is she keeps bringing up this Wookiee costume where it's like... <laughs> she does. She does. She does it repeatedly. It's like, oh, I've got this Wookiee costume that, that alienates me from others, which she makes a point in saying early on in the story, like, I showed up at a party wearing a Wookiee costume, but everybody else was in jeans and a t-shirt. So I desperately need to go back so I can get my jeans and t-shirt and not be in this Wookiee costume. And I'm at this point yelling at her in the car. She can't hear me, of course. But I'm going, no, no, that's not the lesson you should take from that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's it's interesting because she brings up the Wookiee costume. She has this obsession with t-shirts, with sayings. She's, she so wants to be the t-shirt girl and not the Wookiee costume girl. Meanwhile, her... Her love interest, spoiler alert, is a guy who you learn from that story that he just told is all about embracing the wolf, the the animal, quote unquote, or whatever. Because, of course, Chewbacca is an alien, not human. I really like this interpretation of yours where he... <laughs> Yay! You're saying she's like, she's like some kind of creature and he's just like all about that. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're weird in a way that is complimentary to my weird. I like it. But she's like, no, no, I'm weird. Don't, don't look. I'm like, that's, <laughs> Embrace the weird. Yeah, I didn't really, I, I totally see that. I totally see that now, but I did Yay! not think of that while I was reading it. So I really like that interpretation. That's great. Oh, yay. Go me. So again, they end this date with you know kisses and nothing else keep in mind sandra has this whole idea well he's he just wants sex he's just into booty calls or whatever and so she's very 
weirded out by the whole thing and so she's thinking well maybe the age thing did bother him yeah you know but it's it's getting to her because she's thinking maybe we'll go back to his or or her place or whatever and he's just like kisses kisses bye yeah and so she calls up thomas and is like i need advice and he's like wear something inappropriate and flirt and so I love the outfit she puts on because she talks again about the Chicago weather and she decides her legs are going to have to sell it. And so she wears like thigh highs and hot shoes and then like pajama shorts and a t-shirt with a coat over it. I know. I love it. I'm like, that that feels real world to me. Which again made me think of you, Em. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm like, you don't know what's under this coat and frankly, you don't need to know. I am comfy under this coat. That is all you need to know. (laughs) But she orders takeout at the restaurant where he works. And when she goes to pick it up, uh, he's busy with a table of girls that are like closer to his age. And she's like, she just feels dumb. And so she picks up her food and goes home. But when she gets back to her place, she sees a note from him that says meet me back here at 11 15 where the red dress all other clothing is optional and so she's like booty call <laughs> she shows up right on time she's wearing the dress she's ready to go you know it's hot she's a little weirded out though because she's like she notices he shaved and then later she notices oh he showered oh there's candles <laughs> yeah she's all men don't fancy up for booty calls do they it turns out he lives above the restaurant he takes her upstairs they're kissing it's hot he's like saying all these things that, that they are not booty call things they're like i've been waiting for this so long and finally you'll be mine you know <laughs> yeah not not typical booty call speech and he tells her say you're mine and she is like you're mine <laughs> <laughs> and he says say it and she's like why and he goes because it's true she's just like what i kind of hear like a record scratch at this point yeah. you know and and she's just like hold on here let's let's talk about what's going on here what what is happening here she she basically she says well either this is a booty call or you're gonna murder me and i don't think you're a murderer yeah she makes a point several times of saying that she feels safe around him so yay and he's like you can't think of any other reason like any other possibility and she's all what other than you hoping that this is something that's going to be long term and he doesn't respond and then she looks around and she realizes oh he did want this to be something long term. Yes, it dawns on her. And I think about that time there's like a knock on the door. And of course, things intensify. Yeah, so they're they're having like this intense conversation. And, you know, all of a sudden there's this knock on the door and it's Alex's parole officer. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> And I really like how Sandra acts with uh, the parole officer here because he he comes in and he wants to be all super intimidating. And he's like, who are you? What's your profession? You know, kind of implying she's a prostitute, I think. And she's just like, oh, well, did you know he's a dangerous individual? Did you know blah, blah, blah? And Sandra's just like, yes, I know everything. Why are you like doing this? I don't understand. 
Like, she doesn't give them anything to, to go yeah, on. Yeah, she essentially is coming to Alex's defense, which you will find out later no one has done in his life to that point. There's a point later in the story where she she does knit him a hat and gloves and gives it to him, and he reveals this is the first time he's ever received a gift. Yeah, which is hard to hear because you know for at least some of his earlier years he had parents in his life. Shitty parents. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> Alex is kind of weird with the parole officer um, Sandra thinks because instead of being like submissive toward the parole officer he's kind of like why are you here why isn't the other agent here I told them I don't want to talk to you anymore yeah <laughs> he like basically kicks the parole officer <laughs> out after he leaves they have Another conversation, he, he asks her, does it bother you that I've been arrested, that I'm on parole? And she says it's concerning because she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, she doesn't know why and he won't tell her. No. And I guess she she doesn't have a resource, I guess, to look it up herself. All he tells her is like, I didn't hurt anyone. He goes, I was guilty of my crime. I understand why it's illegal, but I don't think it was wrong. And, you know, I didn't hurt anyone. Yeah, she's not making any value judgments on what he did or didn't do because she doesn't know what it is. I guess that was also the point later upon retrospect where I'm just like, and she couldn't have looked it up. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like, it's not in any way a matter of public record or anything that she could have found out some information, especially since he's not giving her any information and she hasn't known him that long. I mean, she's known of him for several years, but it's been like, a, oh, look at the hot waiter. They haven't had any substantive conversations up until recently. And it's just, it's sort of strange to me that she trusts her, her gut like, oh, well, he won't hurt me. I'm like, well, there's other things, but I'm glad you feel safe. Yeah, I kind of think she just... She takes what he says at face value and she wants to hear whatever he has to tell from him. She doesn't want to hear it from something else. I think later um, she has a discussion with her friend Fiona who has an in with the government and she can tell Fiona's read his file. And she even thinks to herself like, well, Fiona read it in a file, but Alex told me. Yeah. And I could understand, too, like, once you find out his crime and the nature of his crime, I, I do kind of wonder what kind of paper trail there actually would have been. I get her wanting to hear it from him and wanting them to have that trust, but especially through the through the book, she is constantly like, information, please. And he's constantly like, nope, door slam. And so I just think at some point, <laughs> it's like, no, no, for my own... <laughs> psychological well-being and peace of mind i need something yeah i think there's like this whole this whole thing with with alex where he on some level recognizes that if he gives up that part of himself to her this early on it's gonna color her whole perception of him he'll be one of those guys that you know, cries at the end of the day. Although he probably wouldn't cry, but you know, that's where yeah, she's no. going to file him away in her mind. He desperately doesn't want her to leave. And so he puts it under the guise of, oh, I'm protecting you. But of course, it's not so much protecting her as it is protecting himself and his wants. So the end of that night just kind of fizzles out. And he says something like, this isn't going to work. Because he's just like, you know, he's he feels like she's just not 
receptive and she goes okay and then he seems like upset that she said just like okay like she just capitulated and then she ends up saying you know i really liked you i was into you but okay and then she leaves and then later at work she meets up with one of the federal agents who is assigned to alex who is agent bell i believe yes also known as Miss Tuesday. Yeah, Sandra ends up recognizing her as Miss Tuesday and gets one of those, oh, so he actually was <laughs> being sincere this whole time. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but Agent Bell is kind of threatening. Like, she's like, Alex is dangerous. And if he's discussed bitcoins or the blockchain with you, you can help us. He's a risk to the to national interests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Sandra's just like, uh, nope, I'm not cooperating with you. I don't think so. Yeah, for her own self-interest and for Alex's. Yeah, I really appreciate this aspect of Sandra. Just she's on Alex's side consistently, I think. She's yeah. she's just like, no. Yeah, she's loyal to yeah, him. You can't you can't make me do something. Agent Bell, I'm not intimidated. You know, she does the same thing with the parole officer. Like, you're not intimidating to me. I am just going to shine you on and not give you a response. So Agent Bell leaves frustrated. Some time passes. Um, I think two weeks. Sandra calls Thomas again. And it's just weird for Thomas because he is not used to getting phone calls from Sandra. He's used to having Saturday lunch <laughs> with Sandra. She's just like, I need you to help me. I need you to go to the restaurant with me where he works so that I can talk to him. And Thomas agrees, even though he doesn't really want to. Yeah, I forget why she wants to bring him. I mean, she says it's like professional reasons. Is that why? Because if not, she could... I know she doesn't want to take one of her girlfriends. No, she doesn't really give a good reason for wanting to take Thomas. It's just like she wants someone to go with. Oh, okay. In the text, there's not a reason. So she formulates this plan. She and Thomas are going to show up like customers and she's hoping she'll get a chance to talk to him. Poor long-suffering Thomas agrees. They get to the <laughs> restaurant. Alex shows up. Alex is pissed. Like he sees her with another guy and he's just like not having it. And she's also dressed differently. You know what I mean? She's not dressed in dainty attire, which maybe hints at a level of comfort with this guy that she hasn't had with previous guys. Ooh, this might be threatening. And they have this wonderful conversation. I just love it. Because <laughs> Thomas orders and then Alex takes their menus before Sandra can order her butter chicken. And he says, what do you want? <laughs> and she says, the usual. And he says, really? Are you sure? You don't want to try something different this time. <laughs> Which I just love. Sense of a little hostility. And she's like, well, like what? And he says, how about you come with me right now and we'll figure it out. And so she just takes his hand and goes with him. And they like go across the street or something and hide in a closet. <laughs> Yeah, they like hop a fence like he grabs like her her coat her purse 
something on her that she has knitted. I can't remember what it is. What is it? A hat oh, or a yeah. He takes all her stuff and shoves it under a dumpster. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm going to want that back. Like, <laughs> uh, not damaged or anything. And he's like, okay, fine. <sighs> she's like, I knitted that. I want, I'm going to want it back. <laughs> she loved the like illicitness of their actions like how exciting it was yeah it is exciting so they're in this closet <laughs> and <laughs> and she's just like i need to know something about you and he's like fine ask me anything and i'll answer if i can and she says who are you and he i am batman <laughs> he says <laughs> i'm a hacker <laughs> It's very, yeah, I heard it very dramatic in my head, too. Yeah. (laughs) Did you picture that movie, Hackers? That movie from the 90s? Yes! (laughs) Oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that movie in a very long time. I did not picture that movie, although... (laughs) Gosh, it was in the Angelina Jolie. Yeah, Angelina Jolie. I think Matthew Lillard is in it. Uh, yeah i think so oh who's the dude is it the guy who plays sherlock now oh yeah i can't remember that actor (laughs) not the proper sherlock the other sherlock the elementary sherlock i must know now i must google (laughs) pardon me while i google movie hackers (laughs) 1995 (laughs) oh goodness oh goodness goodness vintage yeah matthew lillard okay Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny Lee Miller is the guy who plays Sherlock in Elementary. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Alex says, I'm a hacker. Dun, dun, dun. I don't have a cell phone because I choose not to. I don't want them to keep tabs on me. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I don't know. It's just funny. She starts asking him some more questions, like trying to probe into his childhood, and he just shuts her down. He's like, no, you don't have to learn about my childhood to make a decision about whether or not you want to be with me right now. She might. (laughs) So they kind of decide, I think at that point, they're like, they decide to give it a shot. Yeah. Would you say that this is, it's not declaration of love. They're not declaring love yet, but it's certainly declaration of like. Yeah. And they go on several very, uh, it's it's just funny the dates they go on because it's like very, very clandestine. Yeah. And she, I like that she uh, poked fun at it. Like, oh, we think we're being all clever and, and whatnot. But yeah, people probably can see right through it. <laughs> the people that are listening. And she kind of references the people listening. But I don't know if she really appreciates that. They have a few really hot and heavy, like, sessions, but it never really progresses beyond that. And she's starting to feel kind of frustrated by it. She's a red-blooded woman. She wants to get it on. And he's just not... I think he's just hyper-aware that he's being watched all the time. Yeah. I I don't think she appreciates it. Because even later when they have... I think it's a make-out session? I can't remember. In the little fort or whatever that they made so that they can't be watched. Yeah, they make a like a fort out of a sheet in her living room. Yeah, because he's like, they, they might even have cameras in your apartment, which doesn't seem to freak her out as much as maybe it should. Like, it doesn't seem to occur to her 
maybe it occurs to him and he just doesn't say it. They could potentially be watching you, but they could also be listening. They have devices that can penetrate forts made out of sheets and cushions. <laughs> well, during that date, they decide they're not going to talk. They just watch movies and make out. Yeah, I think it would have been different, too, if through the course of the story, there was a moment where Agent Bell, who, you know, maybe we don't like her, maybe we do, had a moment where she had Sandra in an interrogation room and played her some of that. Although there is that implied threat. There's the implied threat. And then they do actually, if not take, make a copy of the note, the love note that Alex writes her. Yeah, Alex writes her this very sweet note and at the end tells her to get rid of it and she doesn't. Yeah. They find it and then end up quoting it to her. So, I mean, clearly they're going through her stuff, but I think even then it's like she still, it doesn't seem to really hit home. That's why I was like, if they played that for her, in fact, I think it would have been better if it was one of those instances where without video, you just heard them. You know, it's like, oh, but they weren't talking. Yeah, but they were listening and you're still making sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a little more evil. <laughs> this story was clearly not meant to, to go into dark, scary parts of the human psyche. Not really. Which, fair enough. One of Sandra's other friends in her dating group is Janie. And Janie's um, husband is Quinn, who owns a security company and he owns this apartment building that is super duper high security and locked down. And they lend Sandra the use of Janie's old apartment um, so she can meet with Alex and have privacy. And they end up, you know, meeting there and talking and all these things. But there's still like this frustration. And then Alex leaves for I think a week yeah because when he comes back he has his hair cut and yeah when he shows back up they meet up in the apartment this is the point he's much more forthcoming with her like he asked her to tell him a deep dark secret of hers and she admits that she used to be a phone sex operator when she was in college he doesn't really seem surprised by this at all <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't seem overly bothered by it. She starts to explain to him what a phone sex operator is. He's like, I, I know what it is. He's ready. Like, he wants to, like, he tells her that he loves her at this point. I want to be with you. I love you. I want to give you whatever you need. And she's just still, she's like, but I don't know your past. You know, I don't know these things about you. And, and he's just like, why can't you just love me how I am now, as you know me now? And she's just like, you're asking me to take like this huge leap of faith and trust you. And he's like, this is what I've done with you. Why can't you do that with me? Yeah, it's a huge bat battle of wills at this moment. Because they're both sort of vying for the quote unquote in control position. Each of their arguments, I think, are interesting. He's worried frequently that he's going to get treated like a mental patient quote unquote that she's going to want to fix him and psychoanalyze him and all of those things like he wants to be treated not like that right he wants he wants to be her man not her patient exactly and he's not stopping to appreciate that she is actually treating him that way because i don't think she would ask one of her patients the things that she's been asking of him and demand them you know, whether or not she actually has a right to that. 
I mean, she certainly seems to think that she's entitled to it. Um, but he is, he's greatly changed after this, this trip that he went on and he, you know, they, he does divulge some, some of his past and, and they end up finally having sex. It turns out he was a virgin. And so the first time was really fast. Well, she knew that going in. Yeah. And he's like, I wanted to last longer. And she's all, well, we'll do it again. And then like five minutes later, he's ready. And she's like, how can you be ready so fast? And that's when he tells her he's 21. (laughs) He goes, Sandra, I'm 21 years old and I've been thinking about doing very bad things to you for over two years. I'll be ready every five minutes for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) And she has like simultaneous yay me and holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the point where you get the declaration of love the next day after they after they wake up together or she wakes up and she's alone in bed. But then she realizes he's in the kitchen doing dishes and he didn't leave her. Yeah, because she has that insecurity, which he will bring up later. All these people that are in your life, you know, all these patients, they leave you because, of course, you make them better and then they move on. But that's it's like he never wants to be better because he never wants to be removed from her. Yeah. See, I think he's he's already in the love place. I don't think she is at that point. She is. She hasn't admitted it really. But he says... Maybe that's what it is. He tells her that he's in love with her and she's like trying to rebuff that. She's all, no, I'm your first. Obviously, you know, you're just confusing sex with feelings. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm in love with you. I know you're in love with me. That's just how this is. He tells her that the story with the foster kids was true and he had accidentally killed another child in self-defense. She just starts crying because she feels for him, but she can't fix him. There's this quote that I highlighted that says, I cried because I couldn't unknow the dismal truths he just shared with me. I cried because I would miss my feelings for him, the ones before I knew how completely wretched his life had been. I cried because he'd been right all along. I couldn't fathom how I would be able to stand by, ignore all my training and instincts, and just let him be broken. I cried because he'd finally been honest with me, and I was crying like a selfish cow. But mostly, I cried because I loved him, and he'd suffered, and there was nothing I could do to fix or manipulate the reality of his past. So do you think Alex was right about her all along, that if she had known that earlier, things would have been different? She would have relegated him to patient? I think he is right. I don't think that's why he held off telling her for so long. No, I don't think so either. But I think he is, I think he is right. I think that if he had told her sooner, she would have been more inclined to file him away as patient. Yeah, she wouldn't have have gone to that place of wanting to make quote-unquote selfish demands of him. She wouldn't have felt safe doing it. No. And he he does set that boundary, like, right away. Like, he's like, no, you're not fixing me. And so I think she would have respected that boundary from the very beginning, but she would have been more about, like, well, you need to go get therapy or whatever. And she would have put him in the patient category and given him Thomas's card. Yeah, I I don't know if she necessarily thinks of, of her profession as fixing people. Does she? I mean, he's very sensitive to, I don't want to be fixed. I don't want to be fixed. Yeah, I don't think so. And he certainly doesn't want to be treated like a lab rat and quote unquote observed his entire life, which is what's 
essentially happened because some of the ages at which he's going through some of this stuff just it's so young like he's he's hacking into the nsa at, or was it the nsa at 12 i'm like that's boy wizard age i think she sees it as healing which that's different than fixing yeah definitely i think he sees it as fixing she sees it as healing so after after um all this you know the revelation and the love and all that they're definitely a couple they're definitely together a couple of what then (laughs) (laughs) has she embraced her alienness like he has embraced his wolf we don't know or do we know i don't know but this is where the real world comes crashing in and (laughs) hello real world get the fuck out apparently uh janie's husband quinn has looked into alex and knows who he is knows why he left for a week or whatever and shares all this with sandra quinn and fiona who is cia or ex-cia or whatever secret agent woman pull sandra aside and they're like so he created bitcoin (laughs) this is why he was gone last week he went to washington dc and made a deal with the nsa so that they wouldn't publicly embarrass you So basically, Alex, this whole time, he's refused to make a deal with the government agencies that want him to help control Bitcoin or whatever. Do your worst, he tells them. But he loves Sandra, and to protect Sandra, he makes this deal with them. And that's why when he came back, he was, it's like he was ready to go. Like, he's like, okay, this is the line I signed so I can have you. I think that's what it was in his head. Yeah, that's probably, that probably is how he thought of it. But he didn't tell her any of that, of (laughs) course. Why communicate with the person you're in a relationship with? So she learns this from her friends and they're like, so if you love him and you want to protect him and yourself, then you should marry him so that you can't be forced to testify against him. And she's just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) and they have a marriage license like ready for her (laughs) (laughs) we're ready to get you hitched i hope you're ready (laughs) and so she's she is she is ready yes she does that gut check yes yes i am in love and she saw all those instances of him sort of professing the same sort of thing marriage-ish stuff yeah totally she agrees she's gonna go with them they're gonna pick up alex and convince him you know that this is what should happen They pick Alex up. It's revealed that that's what they're doing. They're going to get married. And Alex is just like, oh, they told you about my deal. (laughs) He's mad. You weren't supposed to learn about this. I didn't want this to be a thing that you had to worry about. Too late. And Sandra says, but if we get married, then we won't have this problem anymore. And he goes, but do you actually want to marry me? Or do you just want to do this? because you don't want to have to testify against me or whatever and she does want to do this that's the thing is she does genuinely want to she does genuinely genuinely want to he needs some convincing he's got you know his own issues or whatever of course (laughs) um but she does end up convincing him and she says you know if if we get married then quinn can get you a job working in his firm oh really (laughs) fiona can pull some strings with the government agencies 
and you'll have more freedom. Freedom. So they get married. They have a very non-traditional sort of wedding. He's wearing one of the t-shirts that her friends bought that said something like, I married Sandra Fielding and all I got was this t-shirt or something like that. Yes. (laughs) She wears her hoochie top. Yeah, they get married on a boat. As far away from prying eyes as they possibly can get. And it's sweet. They have sweet, like, from the heart sort of vows. They end up putting their plan into motion and Alex, Quinn, and Fiona and a bunch of other people all go and contact the different government agencies and have a meeting and they broker a deal for Alex where he has to make some concessions but also will no longer have any threats, will no longer be on parole, um, will be able to have untraced access to computers, etc. and less surveillance and all this. And he ends up screwing them over too. I thought that was really funny because they wanted him to remove Bitcoin from like some terrorist organization or some bad guys. Yes. And transfer it to their account. Mm -hmm. And he ends up transferring a percentage of each Bitcoin to their account (laughs) and then giving, dividing the percentages of it into other various accounts like the NRA and the AARP and the... (laughs) (laughs) yeah the NAACP yeah all these all these different like groups that just dislike each other so they'd never come to an agreement therefore the money would always or currency would always stay right where it was yeah so I thought that was just great I really enjoyed that yeah that was clever and then there was this really cute line um at the end of the chapter before the epilogue they're having sexy times And he's like hanging out down south and he goes, my name is Alex and I'll be serving you tonight (laughs) and every night from now on. (laughs) Which is kind of sexy. It's cute. It's cute. It's sexy. It's cute. It was cute. Yeah. And then there's an epilogue from Alex's point of view where he um, is picking out a new engagement ring for Sandra because they're getting basically remarried to have like a real wedding. Was he picking out the the ring or was he picking out a Star Wars-y thing to put the ring in? Oh yeah, that's right. He is picking out like a model, like a Star Wars-y model that he was going to hide the ring in to get. Yeah, I think they mentioned it, but Star Wars just goes in one ear and out the other. (laughs) And then that's the end. I'd like to talk a little bit about the writing style. I really like um, Penny Reed's writing. I think she's got a very lyrical writing style, and I just really enjoy it. Um, I read quite a few of her books. I read the books in this series, and then she has a series of, like, bearded guys or something. <laughs> I like that one series, too. <laughs> this tangentially related to this series, because uh, one of the knitting girls is the sister of those guys. Ah! Oh, okay. But I really enjoy her writing. I really enjoy how each character is a person. They're all different. I like her characters a lot. How well developed they are. How they relate to one another. How they don't always necessarily like each other or get along, but they all coexist in a harmonious way. There are some parts of the story that just seem very fantastical, which like I said earlier, reminded me of the movie Hackers, which was like, (laughs) yeah, sure, sure, uh uh-huh. I kept thinking back to Harry Potter, in all honesty, probably because of the whole, like, 12-year-old boy wizard thing. Like, it was just... Oh. (laughs) I'm just like, I'll just consider this, like... And that's 
that tends to be how I think about romance anyway, is it's just, it's a fantasy. Yeah, it's, it kind of is. So it bends the rules of reality to make a pseudo-reality. So I was okay with it, even though some of it I was like, okay. Yeah, and I mean, it's important to say, too, this is the third in the the Knitting in the City series, I think it's called. And it's totally readable without knowing, you know, what happened in the prior books. But you do get some repeat characters like there's Quinn, who's the love interest in the first book, um, who ends up with her friend Janie. And, you know, he's kind of a big player in this book. I haven't read any of the other books in uh, by her, either in this series or any of the others that she's written. And I didn't feel like that hindered my enjoyment. I think she does a good job of of giving you an idea of who these people are. She does. I think she does that really well. And I mean, we sort of have mentioned the elements that kind of seemed a little extreme or outrageous, but I think she can get away with it or not get away with it. But I think it it feels okay for me because her characters are so good. I agree. So it's like, yes, okay, some of this is a little outrageous or whatnot, but these characters feel real. Their struggles, their joys, all of that, they emotionally read real, so to speak. Yeah, they do. So it's sort of like, okay, fine. He he developed bitcoins when he's 12 or, or whatever it is. You know, you're just like, fine, sure. I'll, I'll go with it, which isn't what he does, actually, but hacks the NSA. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I I can totally picture hanging out with that group of friends and just yeah being part of the group. Definitely. Um, they all seem fun. They all have their own their own story and personality. I really liked Alex. He is a very interesting hero. He's a lot different than a lot of heroes, I think. Yeah. I think because he's so secretive. And I think the author did pretty well to make it like it wasn't super annoying to me how secretive he was. I think it would have been really easily for it to fall on that annoying side where it's like, can you just talk, man? Can you just... Yeah, it definitely got frustrating for me. Like, I, And that made me relate a little more towards Sandra's struggles because you get really frustrated. It's like, dude, just say it. Two syllables, please. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I think the author does a really good job of kind of feeding us like little hints of information here or there. And I especially liked the change in his behavior like before he makes the deal versus after he makes the deal. Because before he makes the deal, he's very on edge and just closed mouthed about everything. And after he makes the deal, that's when he's all in. Because you also then realize, because of course, if he's making a deal, they've already come to him with the information. Yeah. They're like, this is what we're going to do. So the whole time he's trying to get close to her and and care about her and, and all of these things, he has this voice going um we're going to humiliate her publicly if you don't do what we say so you kind of get a a better impression of the pressures that he's under you know i i will say of her characters sandra and alex both i like that they had qualities that i liked about them and qualities that i didn't like there were huge chunks of this book where i did not like sandra at all (laughs) (laughs) but no especially when she was doing her whole like entitled speech you know, entitled to know information about him. Oh, yeah. Where it's just like, you have to open up to me. It's like, no, no, he doesn't. Yeah, that's a very interesting line there. Because I do think, you know, if you're going to be with someone, 
you want to feel like they like you know everything about them and I think she's expressing that frustration there that he's not quote letting her in at the same time you're right she's not entitled to it yeah I mean that that was an instance too where it's like he he's worried that he's getting treated like a patient she would never talk like that to a patient I would hope not (laughs) (laughs) me too Although if she did, maybe that would be interesting. But yeah, <laughs> she shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who who knows? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was something more specifically with her. I didn't have so many of those with Alex, and I think that's because he's so closed off, like, to a frustrating degree. I'm not saying unrealistic. Yeah, definitely frustrating. You know, again, making Sandra's level of frustration more relatable. I also sort of felt like, you know, in the epilogue where it's like, oh, here's Alex. And I'm like, why couldn't we have had bits with him earlier? Why is it now sort of tacked on at the end? I I didn't really like that because it was sort of weird, too, from the audiobook perspective, because not that Joy Nash, she was great. I was perfectly happy with her her narration. I thought she did an absolutely wonderful job. She definitely sounded like Sandra, you know, and I think she did a really good job with Alex, too, finding ways to nuance her voice to maybe convey different things. But it did feel very strange to then all of a sudden at the end when it's Alex time to have a different narrator. Yeah, I bet that would be disconcerting. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, this is weird. (laughs) I wish this had been woven in, which makes it tricky because of the whole, no, we need to be secretive. And sometimes that's a pet peeve of mine with writers because they'll think they have to keep everything secret from the reader. It's like, no, you have to keep things secret from a character. Sometimes it's great to let the reader in. That can help with like tension building and things like that. I don't necessarily think that she needed to have done that with this. It was just, I think I wouldn't have been second guessing it so much except for the, oh, here's Alex at the end and a completely different narrator and huzzah. (laughs) It was just... I, I think I understand where you're coming from and I agree to an extent. I think a lot of times... I want more from the other perspective, especially in a book that's told solely from one character's perspective. And then you get to the end and she writes in his perspective and you're like, well, you could have been doing that all along. Yeah, I'm not saying it had to be every other chapter, (laughs) but just... But I think think in the case of this story, I think if we knew what was going on with Alex um, before Sandra did, I think that would have changed the tone of the whole story. It would have. And that that's what I was saying. Like, I almost wish the Alex part hadn't been there. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wonder if the author did like, you know, like how sometimes authors will do like character studies or character sketches that don't necessarily get published. And maybe she did something like that for Alex and then ended up really liking that one and published it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. This is pure speculation. <laughs> but I think that, that that's kind of how it read to me. Like, it was her getting, like, the author getting into Alex's head. Yeah, I think a lot of times, too, it sometimes benefits the story to have some perspectives from one of the the characters in the romance and then some perspectives from the other. So what seems common in romance, particularly when the couples are a hetero couple, is that the guy character gets to go off and do things that are fun. The female character, not so much. So she's given a lot of the internal conflict and he's given a lot of the external conflict. So sometimes 
the way the story kind of balances out is to have them alternate. A lot of times the the female character has all the emotional labor. I would say most of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's true of this story, too. Or at least it seems yeah. to be because we're not given another perspective. I agree with you. I tend to prefer um, books where the the couple's perspective alternates throughout the book because I like to be in both heads and see like how each one perceives what's going on. Yeah. I think in this story, it made sense to just be in Sandra's head, but I definitely wanted to be in Alex's head. <laughs> yeah no i mean i understand her choice i don't disagree with it and i didn't feel like the story was missing anything until that curveball and i'm like who the hell are you (laughs) oh wait you're alex okay so with regard to language (laughs) she used some pretty interesting words one of which was schitzerhosen (laughs) i may be using that in future not gonna lie (laughs) <laughs> not really probably going to use bukkake no thank you yeah ew. <laughs> yeah however i did really love that one kumerspeck is that the grief bacon yes i loved that part too <laughs> me too i loved it so much i'm gonna be using that one too hopefully i won't have need of it <laughs> anytime soon like, I feel that on a visceral level, grief bacon. <laughs> it's just, oh my god, it's the best thing ever. It, it, <laughs> it's a word that I didn't know existed, and I feel like I need it in my life now. We all need it. <laughs> yeah, again, because the grief part, we could do less without that, but I'm so glad that that word exists. It makes me so happy. So speaking of happy, are you happy <laughs> for they're happy? Ha, <laughs> look at that transition. <laughs> Yeah, I am happy for their happy. I do think that it, you know, the ending happened really fast. And it's like, whoop, let's get married. Wee! But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it kind of followed, like, like it made sense for their relationship, I think. I think they were at that place. I think they were each other's person. I do, too. And I think that it gives them both, like, that safety. They both want safety. They both want long term. They both want their person. Yeah, and it's good that Sandra has that moment where she's sort of taking inventory of where they both are right before, well, leading up to the marriage. And she's like, no, no, I really think Alex is there. I'm not forcing him to do this. He's not forcing me to do anything. This this is where we are. It's soon, but it's it's where we are. And I mean, that happens in real life sometimes. I mean, sometimes couples meet and it's just like, that's it for them. Yeah, they just know. What about you? Are you happy for their happy? conflicted (laughs) shocking (laughs) i hope they'll be happy (laughs) i i don't know i feel like i feel like they both have some issues they need to take to a therapist frankly (laughs) therapy for everyone (laughs) but i mean i'm i'm happy enough they both need (laughs) couches just for them with completely separate therapists where they can work some things out alex does not want a couch He can sit on whatever he wants to sit on. (laughs) Do you think they'll make it? Like, if it were real? If they were real, I think they'd have a rough road. (laughs) Not that they couldn't make it, but I think it would be difficult. I don't know, because she kind of just gives in to whatever he wants. So maybe they'd be fine. You think she gives in to whatever he wants? Yeah. I kind of do. I think he says no, and then she's like, well, what about this? I think she gets him out of his his no place a little bit, but 
I think now that the obstacle has been removed, it would be interesting to see how they are with each other. Maybe she gives him whatever he wants. I'm not sure if I agree with it entirely, but she does give a lot. But she only gives what she's willing to give. Like, she does not cross her own boundaries. That's true. And he does make concessions for her. Like, when they had that scene where she wanted to know something true and he's like, okay, but I get to say what that is. Yeah. And then when it came to her time, her rules were different than his rules. I mean, they came to an agreement that they both were comfortable with. So maybe that's fine then? Like I said, it'd be interesting to kind of see how they are without the threat of big brother always watching yeah do you think they'll make it i want them to yeah i want them to i don't know if i necessarily believe that they will but i want them to i think they're all in i think that barring a you know like a psychological break on alex's part which is very possible due to his horrific backstory yeah because he's got a lot bottled in theoretically (laughs) yeah well she has her wookie costume but hopefully he can help her deal with that And he's wearing a t-shirt in the end. Yeah. So maybe that's his conformity? I think barring that, I think that that they would make it. I think that it might be a bumpy road, like you're saying. But he's very communicative about his boundaries, and so is she. And they're both respectful of each other's boundaries. That's true. And so I think that that is a big part of a successful relationship. You know, being respectful of each other and communicating your needs. And they do do that. I agree. Yeah, that that gives me hope for them. So let's rate them. (laughs) Ooh, yay. How do you rate Alex? Awesome, maybe. Wow. Maybe? I'm not willing to commit. Big surprise. (laughs) Like, I kind of felt awkward. I think the problem is, is he's so freaking frustrating. Yeah. So it makes me want to withhold that. But I do understand. I'm withholding. Um... But I do understand, like, from apparently from his experience from an early age, he has been told what he should be, monitored, all of this stuff. So I think the fact that he isn't more screwed up than he already is is a testament to him. (laughs) What about you? How would you rate him? I think he's awesome. Yay! Yeah. I thought he was a really interesting character. I mean, it was, like I said earlier, it is a little hokey. I'm a hacker, you know? Yeah. And then even in the epilogue, he says he like (laughs) hacks with sound frequencies now or something. And I'm just like, "Mm, interesting. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm whatever. But like I said, boy wizard, right? Like you got to suspend your disbelief. Yeah. I mean, all those things aside, I really liked him. I, I liked his character. I liked, you know, how he tells her in the beginning, like, I made my move because you wore the red dress. I like the way he made his move where he just like takes over her date, basically. Yeah. And I like that you learn later on that the red dress was really wasn't it. (laughs) Because when he kept saying the red dress thing, I'm like, oh, whatever. But when you find out that it's because this this light, this effervescence that he saw in her was dimming. Yeah. That's when he was like, oh, no, 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 no. This quote-unquote perfect woman with her her glorious light and and bubbliness and and whatever it is that he sees in her that he likes is being smothered by some unknown dark force you know and then he intervenes yeah he wants to be her hero it's very cute exactly yeah it is so i liked that because when it he kept saying it was the red dress i'm like oh god i don't care (laughs) 
And I really <laughs> like his snarkiness too. Like, especially like that scene yes. at the end with Thomas where he's like, would you like to try something new? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, he's got some sass. I yes. really liked it. It was cute. Or like the time <laughs> there's a part where she asks him what his favorite color is. And he's like green. And she's like, well, what shade of green? And he's all, well, what shade would you call your eyes? Yeah, that's sweet. Like, Swoon. <laughs> yes, it's very sweet. And then there's all these different greens that they said. And I'm like, those don't actually look anything alike. But whatever. I'm just going to let that go. So what about Sandra? How would you rate her? I think similarly to him, like awesome, kind of question mark, like a little bit awkward. She fights for herself. She she holds him accountable. She's clearly compassionate. I mean, that's it's also sort of the way that a lot of these romance novels seem to be where it's like he cares about only her to his detriment and she cares about everyone else to her detriment. But still, I would put her in the awesome category because I don't think she's a pushover and I think she goes and gets what she wants and I enjoyed her character. I don't have to like a character to enjoy them, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? How would you rate Sandra? I thought she was awesome. Um, I really liked her quirkiness. Um, A lot of times uh, heroines will be like quirky and it'll feel forced or like over the top or whatever, but with Sandra, it just felt real, you know? It felt like Mm -hmm. a person could really be that way. And so I really appreciated that. Yeah, it felt authentic. So yeah, she's awesome. I really, I I liked her. I thought um, she would be a good friend. I'd like to hang out with her. Um, I like her weird little eccentricities. There were a couple points where, I don't know, I was a little concerned about the whole psychiatrist persona that she puts on. Like, I don't know, it'd be interesting to learn a little bit more about, like, why she consistently adopts that. Like, is that just part of who she is? Or is it just she's used to putting that hat on and so she does it all the time? There there are a couple times where I kind of was wondering, like, don't you ever rest? Like, do you ever take a break? Do you ever turn off? That's why I was saying, like, for these characters, it'd be interesting to see, you know, where they go from there. So much with romance novels is like, okay, they're they're together now. Bye. Well, that's why you have series, Em. These characters, I think it would be... <laughs> I think it would be interesting to check in with them later, which hopefully they do. I, I don't know. I haven't read the series. But I don't know, even in a series, if you're really going to have too much real insight. Yeah, you won't have the same insight as you do in, like, the main, like, in the couple's book. But in a yeah. series, you do get, like, some sense of their ongoing relationship. Okay. You tend to in series anyway, I think. Like, in this book, you kind of get a little bit more about Quinn, which if you had read the prior books... Um, she even like puts in hints like like there's Quinn's uh, security guard Dan or whatever. Um, he's in a later book. So so she weaves all these characters together like many romance series do, you know, where it's a social group or a friend group or a family group or whatever. Okay. I was going to ask you about reading the villain. So for me, I think really the villains are the government. <laughs> um in a way yeah i mean the couple's definitely antagonistic towards each other but that's not necessarily the same thing as a villain yeah there there is like the the inner struggle that alex has you know his past and all his stuff that he's overcome and not wanting that to affect his relationship with sandra in any way and then there's 
that part of Sandra where she's, you know, she's constantly looking for safe. I think really as far as ratings would go, I would talk about Agent Bell being like the primary external antagonist because she's, I don't know, the this book didn't have a very um, positive portrayal of government agencies, I think. It was very manipulative, you know, the way they were portrayed as, you know, we're going to spy on you and use information against you and force you to do our bidding. I agree. I mean, at one point, Sandra sort of sees Agent Bell as, because she is a bit older, older than Sandra, as like maybe an older sister to Alex. Like, I think she, I don't know what Sandra was trying to do there. I'm not really sure that that's... A successful portrayal because I you don't really see Agent Bell in a well certainly not a positive sisterly role so I don't understand why Sandra really comes to that conclusion. I felt like she thought like Agent Bell kind of kind of dug him like she was into him. Maybe that was kind of the impression I got. Like she thought he was cute. She liked him. That's what Sandra sort of mentions earlier on. And then later it's like, no, no, it's more like a sisterly thing. And I'm like, which maybe that's like a, no, no, he's my man. (laughs) Therefore. Maybe. In this book, like many others um, that we've read, the external antagonist, you know, like an antagonist character, isn't remarkably present at all. It's more like this looming threat versus like anything that actually happens. I agree. What are your thoughts for antagonists in this book? I think, considering the ones we've read thus far, she's one of the better ones. She feels real, which I really appreciated. She does. She felt like a real person. She does. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I'm always saying this, it feels like, but I always can use more external conflict, more threat, more evil. Yes. I do feel like she was portrayed as a real human being, well, fictional real human being, and written well. I almost would put her in the awesome category because I feel like she's done well. It's just there needed to be more. But I also understand like in romance, that's not the focus. I needed more evil, but I always need more evil. Not saying that she's evil, but I always need more external stress. (laughs) What about you? Would you say that she's awesome, awkward, or awful? I, I would say she's on the edge of awesome. Um, I don't yeah. think she was awful or awkward at all. I thought she was well-written. I thought that the the threat seemed realistic. I agree with you to an extent. I think that if we had had Alex's point of view throughout the story, we would have gotten more Agent Bell. There's mm-hmm. a lot of allusions to like interactions that Alex has had with Agent Bell, but we don't really learn a whole lot. And I do really appreciate that while Agent Bell does present a real threat... Yeah, she does. Sandra very much doesn't give a shit. Like, she's just like, no, you're not intimidating me. I'm over this. Yeah, she does. (laughs) Sandra definitely, like, stands up to her. I really loved the scene with Sandra and Agent Bell when they had their tete-a-tete in the interrogation (laughs) room. And they were trying to each get the upper hand. I thought that was wonderful. That was that was very enjoyable. I love how Sandra just acts like she knows everything already, even if she doesn't. 
And she can be a clever liar because she's a psychiatrist. So in certain ways, she can pull it off. She is surprised a little bit by things that come up, but she seems pretty unflappable. Yeah, she's very good at having like this cool cucumber facade. Which Alex even pointed out to her in the series. He's like, you just seem so cool and confident and and whatnot. And she's like, um, Wookiee costume? No. (laughs) I don't understand where you're getting this information from. (laughs) so how do you rate the book from one to five i'd give it a four honestly wow i know that's impressive (laughs) i really enjoyed it so i was very entertained i really enjoyed it i like i said before i don't have to like characters to you know to enjoy a book and sometimes i didn't but that's that's fine that's that helps to make them real definitely sometimes things that are like oh they're just so likable and i'm like Hmm. But no, I I really enjoyed it. I listened to it twice, of course, and really enjoyed listening to it twice in pretty quick succession. What about you? How would you rate the book? I rated this book five. Um, mm. I read this book a couple years ago. I remember th- I, I rated it a five at that point. And when I picked it up to reread it before we recorded... I was like, okay, well, I'm going to really pay attention and take notes and stuff. And like, it's really funny because when I read the book, I go through and um, I read, I always read a digital copy and I do highlighting throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can pull quotes and things like that. And in this book, it was really funny because like I have highlights in like the first four chapters and then nothing. <laughs> Because I stopped highlighting and I just kept going. I'm like, okay, I'm reading. (laughs) And I finished it that night. Like, I read it in one sitting. Wow. (laughs) I know. And I was like, oh, well, I still really like this book, apparently. (laughs) Good. Yay. Always good. If a a book can hold up to a reread, that's just... That's excellent. Definitely. And the fact that it distracted me, like I was getting annoyed at having to make highlights. And so I just stopped. (laughs) Can we just highlight the entire book? (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes I'll even I'll highlight, you know, like plot points, you know, that I want to make sure to to discuss or whatever. And (laughs) (laughs) it was really good. I really enjoyed it. So I, I understand why. Why you also feel that way. I can see in future at some later date rereading it, in all honesty, or re-listening. Totally, yeah. I kind of feel like, okay, well, maybe I want to read the rest of the series again. Maybe it's time. (laughs) I want to go on to the next (laughs) books in the series. So, did you feel romanced? (laughs) I don't think it will shock you that I did not. But I was very entertained. You never feel romanced. (laughs) Almost never. (laughs) I'm a cold-hearted bitch. What can I say? Yes, that's why we love you. Well, that's that's a better reason than some. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. So what about you? Did you feel romanced? I did in a, like, in a suspend your disbelief sort of way, I think. You know, like, it felt very much like a hijinksy romantic comedy movie to me. And I was happy to go along for the ride. I really liked... Uh, the chemistry between the two characters, I thought it was very uh, realistic and sexy. I thought Alex was sexy. I thought Sandra was pretty. Yeah, I would say I was romanced. I was into it. I liked Yay. it. Yay! Well, no, that's good. <laughs> One of us should be feeling romanced. Yeah, well, you know, I'm easy. Well, no. 
(laughs) 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 So what else are you reading? So I just finished Bedtime Stories for Cynics. And it's narrated by Nick Offerman. Or he's sort of... He's sort of like the ringmaster. So a whole bunch of these authors have written uh, bedtime stories that we know that we've possibly read to children, but they've gotten a bit of an update and a bit of a adultification, if you will. And so we have stories like Goodnight Ambien and, <laughs> and and things like that. So it's it's very much not for children. I cannot possibly stress this enough, but we have one of my personal favorites was a retelling of The Tortoise and the Hare with Tommy Chong reading it. So I I, I really loved that one. There's two versions. It's Bedtime Stories for Cynics and then more Bedtime Stories for Cynics. And they have such narrators as Pat Oswalt, Angelica Houston. <laughs> Prepare to be maybe a little offended, but hopefully, hopefully just more enjoying than offended. Offended in a good way. Yes. What about you? What have you read lately? <laughs> or maybe you're reading now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I recently read... Um, a book called Contaminated by Amanda Milo. And it's actually the first of a duet. And it is a sci-fi alien romance that is sort of a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Okay. (laughs) We have sort of a beastly theme with this one. I'm totally obsessed with Amanda Milo as an author right now. I'm reading tons of books by her. If you like sci-fi type romances where aliens have sex with human women (laughs) she might be your bag too but in this book it's told entirely from the perspective of a male alien who is a scientist who works at a lab on his planet and a large percentage of his population has a genetic condition where essentially like they're I guess their nervous system breaks down, you know, like they're unable to move and function and things like that. Oh, so they're like paralyzed? Like seizures and oh. that kind of thing. Um, some of them it's less bad where where they can walk with assistance and things like that. And in others, it's like they're going to die from it. Oh, wow. Okay. But a large percentage of the population are carriers of the condition. Some of the people are clears, which means they don't have the gene at all and they're very like their culture basically to save itself you know they're very like you can't reproduce unless you're both a clear or one of you is a clear one of you is a carrier you know to like make it less likely that they'll pass it on but their race is slowly dying off and because um this hit kind of suddenly their planet kind of got cut off from the rest of space because everyone else you know in <laughs> all the other aliens from other places were like oh we don't know what this is and we don't want any part of it because <laughs> they didn't realize at the time that it was genetic so anyway he works in a lab he's working on a cure or a treatment at the very least he has an amazing lab partner who's also a male alien who is a germaphobe and he's the hero of the second book <laughs> Um, hilariously so, by the way. Nice. Um, but in this first book, 
they're like looking at their plants that they're growing and a creature shows up and steals one of the flowers and they end up catching this creature and treating it like a pet. It turns out the creature is a human woman <laughs> who is a botanist, like a <laughs> like a scientist. Oh no. <laughs> and <laughs> they slowly realize that oh wait, you know, <laughs> this is an intelligent being, not <laughs> Not like a chinchilla or whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's very, very funny. And it's all from the perspective of the hero. <laughs> and it's kind of more funny than sexy. But it is it is a romance. And it's very funny. A lot of Amanda Milo's books are a lot more dark. But she does have this sense of humor. And um, Contaminated and the sequel um, are, are also... They're both very, very funny. Yay! Well, that sounds fun. <laughs> so, that's it for today. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads list. Join us next time when we discuss Bollywood Affair by Sonali Dev. Bye! Ha <laughs> ha